Um, we're kicking off a new series this morning. If you want to grab your Bibles, we're a little bit all over the place. You're going to want to find Genesis 1, John 1, and John 20. Those are the three texts that we'll be dealing with today. Uh, Paul was after, uh, after me for maybe about three months about the, this series. What's the title? What are you going to talk about? And I told him random thoughts about Jesus, and he felt like that was not a good title. And so um, this is classy, right? So he's, he's making me classy. So, uh, classy. So, Jesus. So, but th- this series is just going to be, I, I want to talk about some, just some things that I've been thinking about Jesus. And, and this morning, I'm, uh, this sermon has been burning a hole in my pocket for like a month. I really wanted to talk about this. It's some ideas that I've been working through. And I think they have some particularly interesting implications and some historical connotation and some, some interesting stuff. Anyway, um, so you're going to want to find, like I said, these three texts. These are the three texts this morning. Uh, and I'll give you the page numbers as we go. If you want to grab the Pew Bible, if you're not a, a, a flipping through the Bible pro, that's okay. I'll grab a Pew Bible and I'll, and I'll let you know where we're at. So, page one. <laughs> Real hard. Page one. Genesis, Genesis one. Now, uh, in college, um, and, and, and perhaps it's not just college, maybe it's just um, Bible nerds in general, we don't have a lot to woo the ladies with. We don't throw the football that far, and we don't know kung fu, and so we impress the ladies, uh, at least at Bible college, with obscure Latin phrases. This is how you win, you know, Laura's not in here, so I can't brag about her, but, or, you know, Carrie, and that did not, okay, well, you know. Imago Dei. Uh, is the word there. This phrase just is a Latin phrase meaning image of God. You'll kind of see it as you read. If you read materials about um, books about missions and, and how to be in, more intentional with your outreach and evangelism, this phrase gets tossed around quite a bit. Imago Dei. And it's taken from Genesis 1 right here. If you look at your Bibles, Genesis 1, second column, verse 26. And this is probably some material that's very familiar to you. You've been in church for a while. God creates the world. He, he, he fills it. I mean, it's just this, it's this verdant and beautiful planet, this lush garden full of life, just teeming with life and with fruit and vegetable. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. And God says, I need a crown. For this thing that I've made. And he says here in verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. And then let them, this is sort of men and women, so it's kind of the man is inclusive of a woman, so let us make them in our own image, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock, all the things, over all this, this great thing, I'm going to put something with my likeness in the midst of it to tend it, to care for it, to be the gardeners, as it were, in this beautiful place. And then you have this little poetic notation, I'll give you that one, in case you didn't find Genesis 1, page 1. So God made, uh, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, there you go, Imago Dei, right? In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then he blessed them, said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have dominion over all of these different things. Uh, and, And God sort of closes down the day saying, this is now very, very good. Now, you gotta follow with me. We're gonna kinda take a theological journey um, through these texts this morning. And so I've got, a, I've got a lot to share and a lot to go through. But beginning here, I want you to notice this, that um, 
We are made in the image of God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Various uh, people have suggested various answers. So it could be we think uh, animals obviously don't think the way that we don't. They don't have the reasoning capability that we have. They don't have the moral acumen. You can't say to, or you have said to your dog, how many times have you said to your dog, don't do that. Stop pooping on the floor. And what do they do? Go down the basement and poop on the floor. This is what Noel does all the time. It drives me nuts, right? This is the, uh, but they don't understand, right? So, so there's a difference between us and the beast. So what is this likeness? And, and that's frequently the answer that you hear, sort of logic, reason, morality, that, those kinds of things. And I think that is all wrong. All wrong. Because it eschews what is obviously here. What is obvious? When your daughter or son or grandchildren or nephew or niece or kid in Sunday school says, I'm going to draw a picture of my mom. What do they draw? A stick figure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they draw something that looks like their mom. Now, the head's too big. The eyes are kind of freaky. Like, Emery does these, like, black eyes. It's freaking me right. <laughs> we got pupils down. We've been working on this because they're creeping me out. Um, right? It, draw, it, do, it isn't exactly like mom or dad, but it looks like mom or dad. So what does it mean when God says, I'm going to make something? Let me put it this way. In modern parlance, God says, man, we made this thing, and it is perfect. It is great. It is beautiful. It's gorgeous. You know what we should do? We should make something that looks like us. Put it in the center. Intend it. This word image has a cognate, means it's a word that's similar to it. You could actually, if I push this to its most controversial, because you know I love to do that. God said, let us make an idol and put it in the midst of the garden. That's what this word means, image, idol, sort of the same thing here, cognate. Now this is very interesting if you think about this in terms of the ancient Near Eastern, so you have Israel, and I don't have a map this morning, I'm sorry about that, you know how much I love maps, but imagine you've seen Israel more than a few times, and there are nations all around Israel, you know of Egypt, right, everybody knows where Egypt is, yes, yeah, you got Egypt, you know Egypt, you know their sun god, Ra, and they've, you've got Moab, and you have Ammon, you have the Hittites, you have the Akkadians, you have the ancient Sumerians, you have the, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, you have all of these nations that just circle around Israel, and they all have gods. They all worship, everyone worships. We are worship beings. We are created to worship something. Everyone, listen to scientists or atheists talk about Mother Earth or evolution, right? It has the same connotation as worship, as you would say, God, right? Only what did they do? Their stories work like this. We go and we take metal, or we take stone, or we take wood, and we look to the sky, or we look to the sun, or we look to the sea, or we look to the forest, and we make a God in the image of our God. The Bible is inverting this story. God, in fact, think of it like this. Genesis 2-7, what does God do? God comes down into the garden. This is sort of a zoomed-in story. You've got to get a big-picture story, Genesis 1, zoomed-in story, Genesis 2. God gets down in there, and he gets down in the dust. Think about a kid making, playing in the dirt, kid playing in the mud. And God makes man, and he breathes into man, and man becomes a living being. 
This is interesting because in the ancient world, when they would take an idol, they, make the, they, they take that bronze or they take the stone or they take the wood. They take this idol and they, they form it, they shape it. And it's just wood, it's just stone, it's just bronze. But what they do is they process then, would go through a, they would go through a ritual process called a mouth-washing process. Sometimes they would hollow out the mouth or they would hollow out the eyes. We've got an image here for you. So this is an ancient, this is, if you've heard of an astropole, if you read the kings, this is an image of, of what that would have looked like. You see these eyes are hollowed out right here. And this is just a stone, this is just a piece of stone, right? They take this, this image, they take this idol, and they go through this process, this ritual, calling the spirit of the God to come and to dwell into the image, into the idol. And the idol, they believe, I know this is going to sound bonkers to you, but they believe it becomes a living being. And that living being then can eat, which is why they take and they place food down around the base. This is the process of all of the peoples around the ancient world. They make an image of their God. They call the spirit of the God to indwell the image of the God. And then the image of the God becomes a living being. Notice Genesis. God creates. God makes an image. God puts the spirit in the image and sets it loose on the world with a blessing. Go create. Go be fruitful. Go multiply. The agency in the ancient world with the other peoples, the other false pagan religions, is it's us doing things, us creating, us worshiping, us making, us demanding, us controlling. And the story of the scripture is God instead, out of his great and immense grace, makes something that looks like him, imbues it with life and sets it loose in the world. It's a very interesting connections there as the ancient peoples interact with one another. And this helps us perhaps understand the great scandal of the third commandment, which is to say, you are not to make an idol. So God commands the people, you don't make idols, you don't make images. Why? Because you are the image. And anything that you make of the invisible God, the majestic and perfect and created God, is going to corrupt what God has made. You are insulting God at the highest level possible. So what's the problem with the world as Paul describes it in Romans 1? If you remember Romans 1, go home and look that up and Double check, man. You'll notice as Paul begins to speak through it, he says, what happened to the people of the world? Claiming to become wise, they in fact became fools. In what way were they foolish? Well, they began to worship created beings. They began to make idols of beasts and uh, animals and, and sea serpents and, and people. They made all these idols and they, they worshiped the created things rather than worshiping the creator. And what does this do to them? This creates in them a complete perversion of what God intended. It perverts us because if our eyes are focused on the created, the beasts of the world, what do we become? We become beasts. We become animals. We take control away from God and wrestle it away and we say we will determine what we look like, what we worship, what we do. We will control how we behave, how we act, who we are. You will not tell us what we are and how we are to live our lives. We will create our own images, breathe our own life into them. Although I do think there's some reality to that, but that's another, that's another diatribe. 
So, what's happened? What has happened is that the people that you run into out there in the world, they don't know who they are. They don't understand what they are. I mean, what's the, what's the story? What's the story you told in school? You started as uh, an amoeba, and you grew through the evolutionary process to become a mammal, right? That's what you are. You're an advanced dog. <laughs> I can say don't poop on the floor, and you'll listen, and you won't do that. Right? You, you're, or or to, put it, to put it more colorfully, because I've heard Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about it like this, we're like the dust of stars. Well, I mean, that sounds really nice. But in the end, you're still just dust. From nothing to nothing. Right? Our job as people who are, let's put it it arrogantly, enlightened, who have come to a knowledge of the truth, recognize that every man, woman, child, young, old, black, white, Every person you see is an image bearer of the eternal God. This should help to echo through into our minds our next point and our next text. I want to bring this forward to Jesus because it's all about Jesus. To John chapter 1. John chapter 1. So this is page... 886, if you're using the Bible like I am. John chapter 1 introduces to us Jesus, but it does so by invoking this creation narrative. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, you got the in the beginning part, like Genesis 1-1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. That is, this word, this, this thing that is with God all the time, this, this, this being that we don't really have a lot of information about yet, Right? He, he, is, he is with God, and everything that is in the world has been made through him. And I love the double negative we get. Not one thing, uh, without him not was, I can't even do it. And without him was not anything made that was made. Right? I mean, this is the most awkward sentence in the world. To say that everything that exists, exists because the word said exist. And what does this word do? What does this power do? Verse 14, the word becomes flesh and dwells amongst us so that we may see his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is what we call the hypostatic union. That's a fancy you can impress um, somebody with that doesn't find Latin impressing, I guess. Uh, This is a word that theologically describes what's happening here. The eternal God, 100% God, comes and takes on flesh, becoming 100% human. And that's a lot to take into your mind. And you might even say that that is a mystery. But then again, we're talking about God. So we shouldn't be surprised if we don't have it all figured out. We don't understand it all. It's very big. But this is what is happening in this text. This, God is coming into the world. 
And what is he coming into the world to do? To show us glory. What is that glory going to produce? Well, again, John 1 here, John 1, 9. The true light which gives light to everything in the world is coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world doesn't recognize him. He comes to his own people, like the one people who should, who should recognize God in flesh, but his own people don't receive him, and yet those who do receive him, those who believe in his name, and to believe in his name is not just to say, I believe there's a historical figure called Jesus. It is to say, I will submit all of me to all of the power that is there in Jesus. Those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Now we take this word children of God and we think of it metaphorically. This is a, a lovely way of God talking about us. He, he loves us so much, we're his children, right? What if it's meant to be taken more literally than that? What if, as the image bearers of God, those who he made in his own likeness, blessed and said, be fruitful, multiply, create as I created, rule over this, this territory, this, this, this garden, this verdant, beautiful garden that I have, I have placed in your care just as I rule over all things. What if it means very literally that there is something unique and special about you as a human being that you can become a child of God in a more literal sense? Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you because in my father's house there's many rooms and I've got a room picked out for you. That's deep. That's deep stuff. He is calling us to see who we are. Jesus comes and takes on flesh so that we can see what it is to be fully Made in the image of God. This is what God wants you to look like. It takes on new meaning for things like love your enemies. Why? Because your enemy is what? An image bearer of God. So when God says, I'm going to call to account for every ounce of blood that is spilt in Genesis 9. Why? Because any blood that's spilt is the image of God. Any person you insult is the image of God. Any person you abuse is the image of God. Any person you objectify is the image of God. And God says, wake up and see what you are. I made you from the dust. I breathed into you life. And Jesus shows up on the scene, fully God, but fully man, so that we can see the truth and live according to it. Awakened to the light and what God wants to do in our lives. Now let's push this forward to, Gen, uh, to, to John chapter 20. To John chapter 20. This is on page 906. So Jesus, so I, I, I know this is a lot, and I just I want you to follow this theologically with me. So we've got the God gets in there and he plays in the dirt and he makes something in his own image, and it's us. He breathes life into it, right? And we're walking around mostly in rebellion to God's ways. Jesus comes, being found, remember this from Philippians chapter 2, being found in human likeness, being found in the flesh of man, being Equal with God, but not considering equality God, with God something to be grasped. Rather, he takes on the nature of a servant so that we can see. Jesus uh, 
goes to the cross in Philippians 2 and in John, of course, in the story of Jesus' life and his death. He goes to the cross. He goes in the tomb. He arises on the third day. And he visits his apostles, his disciples. He appears to them um, in several scenes. And this is one of those scenes in John chapter 20, verse 19. Um, Here, he is still human, and yet he is resurrected. His godness, we might say, is shining through. He's walking through walls, right? I mean, he's just... just doing whatever he, you know, whatever he wants. So uh, on that evening, the f- first day of the week, the doors are locked. Disciples are in fear of the Jews. They're fe- afraid that they're going to be crucified next. And Jesus comes in. He just stands among them, like, <laughs> just shows up. And he says, peace be with you. Remember how Paul shared a text from John chapter 14? My peace I leave with you, not as the world leaves it, right? Because why? I'm sending you a comforter. Hear the echoes The echoes of scripture here. Peace be with you. They don't catch it. They're freaked out. That's okay. We understand. When he said this, he shows them his hands and his sides. And the disciples were glad, which is probably an understatement. I love from the Bible. They're glad. It's good to see you again, Jesus. (laughs) Welcome back. And Jesus says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me... Even so, I am sending you, here are the echoes of scripture. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now remember, again, the ancient Near Eastern story, the the, the story of all of the people around who have lost sight of the truth, who think that they are nothing but beasts. They are slaves at the hands of false gods. They have all these stories where they they make these idols and they force force the spirit of the god into that idol and then they bow before the, the creature rather than the creator who is ever praised. Amen. That's the story. And yet Genesis has a different story has a true story where God steps in and he makes and he breathes life into. But notice what he doesn't give those humans. He gives them life. He gives them spirit. But it isn't until Jesus that the Holy Spirit comes on the scene. The Holy Spirit, we sang this, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, right? That God is three personalities. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And these three personalities are One God. Again, that's a lot to take into one's mind. But we're talking about God. Right? So, the Holy Spirit is suddenly thrust upon these, I have to think, shocked, scared, uh, unworthy, sinful. Peter's in them. There's all kinds of things happening in these disciples' lives. Jesus shows up and he says, I'm going to give you peace. And he breathes on them. And they are given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills them up. How is the, and the part, of, part of what struck me as I was reading the stories of Jesus and thinking about Jesus, how is it possible for me as a human to be a vessel in which part of God dwells? Can you imagine the immensity of that? That if you are a believer here today, Acts 2.38, there you go, Scott, Scott read earlier, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of, I mean, this is a huge mystery. We, we, we don't even have words to describe it. Some part of the living God 
dwells inside of the believer, connecting the believer to God in a way that was previously unheard of and unknown. Manifold blessings and closeness and access to God and unity with other brothers and sisters. In Christ. I mean, it's incredible, this great mystery. I could talk about it for hours. It's possible because you are made in God's image. You are the image bearer of God. He made you for his spirit. And Jesus brings that spirit to you. Spend the next week thinking about that. And you won't have, spend the rest of your life considering that. And you will have not scratched the surface of the depth of that mystery. And the more you consider it, and the more you become aware of it, the more alive you will become. Do you think you'll be more alive here or in the kingdom of God? Okay, thank you. I was afraid for a second there. That one seemed obvious, but it's, it's okay. Are you, gonna be, are you more alive now or after God resurrects you to eternal life? Okay, good. You, I felt like that was a freebie, guys. Are you more alive now or when you see God face to face in the presence of all the saints? Right? And in order to give us the encouragement to hold fast to this hope which we have not seen and we will not see until we close our eyes in death or until Jesus comes again. In order to hold fast to that hope and not lose sight of it and to live into its trajectory, God gives you the Spirit today. That you might be filled and empowered as his image bearer in the world. To aliven and to awaken the other people out there who don't realize what they are. They don't realize how much they matter. They don't realize how precious they are. They're lost and confused in a veil of darkness. Thinking that all they are is here to enjoy pleasure or a speck of dust from a star, or an elevated dog, or whatever. If you think you are anything less than the image of God, you are selling yourself short. We are made to worship properly. But we can only worship properly if you understand who you are. I want to give some implications for this um, before we lose our time. Uh, so, um, several things. Uh, and so, this is too much. Like, this is like four sermons and not one. So, um, but I have more stuff to talk about when it comes to Jesus. And so, that, so I, like, I could only, only at this time. And so, write these down and, and think about them, please. Um, what are the implications of this? I say no enemies, and that's not really true, because we all have enemies. Like, the enemies, that's a real thing. Uh, enemies are real. People who oppose us, that's an enemy. And so that, but when we see those people, what do we see? Do we see an enemy or do we see our brother? Possible brother, possible sister. The Bible has two dispositions. You know, you know I can't, the only book that I can think of off the top of my head 
that addresses non-Christians is Jonah. And Jonah just kind of tells a story. It's written to the Jews. The Bible is written to Christians. And it has, has two ways of encountering the world. Jesus says, the world's going to hate you. Right? It's going to be opposed to you. Because your priorities are not their priorities. Your values are not their values. Your thoughts are not their thoughts. Your Lord is not their Lord in the sense that they don't accept, or claim, or accept that claim. And so we have two groups of people. We have the world and we have the church. The world is the enemy. And what do we do for the enemy? Because as I said, every person you put down is the image of God. Every person you insult is the image of God. Every war that has whole lists of casualties, whether we're talking about combatants or collateral damage, is the image of God. Everything, every person you encounter is the image of God. And you, because your eyes are open to that truth, should treat them accordingly. While at the same time we think about the church, in the the church we have been given access not just to the spirit of life, like every person on the planet, but we are given access to the Holy Spirit, which is much larger and and greater and more magnificent than anything a non-Christian has any experience or knowledge of. This is the part of Christianity that is entirely experiential and completely unexplainable. When I say to you, man, do you love God? And I meet another Christian, they're like, yeah, I love God. And explain it to somebody who's like a diehard atheist and they're like I don't get this love God thing and you're like I don't there's a part of that I can't explain right there's just a part of it that's unexplainable I can give you logic I can give you reasons I can give you arguments but there's a piece of this I can't explain and there is a connection you have to understand between every single Christian across the world we are given one Holy Spirit right it isn't there's a piece of God that is just Jordan's and he gets to keep it all to himself We are connected by one spirit, through one faith, through one baptism, through one Lord. And so the unity of the spirit in the church, every time there is a division, every time there is an argument, every time there is gossip and backbiting and and grudges, anytime somebody says, well, that's it, I'm taking my toys and I'm going to another church. Every time that happens, we spit. We spit upon the spirit of God which binds together in unity. Every time we look down our noses at other Christians who belong to a different church, right? we were a unity movement. We didn't say we were the only Christians. We said we were? Oh, God bless you. Extra Jesus points. We are only Christians. I mean, no assumptions about Presbyterians or Methodists or Catholics or anything. Like, maybe you're a good Christian. I have no idea. I can't read your heart. But I'm loving the idea of worshiping God with you. Where is that attitude in us? Where is our unity of the spirit? Where is our love for the enemy? That is what the image of God does when we open our eyes to the reality and the spirit does. There's further, uh, we are vessels of hope. You have to understand now that you're a vessel. You're, you're, you're sort of the hallowed eyes, hallowed out mouth. You're, you're, this, you're this walking image of God. This, this vessel. Doesn't Paul even talk about this? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, you're, you're the, the, the jar of clay that God has put this, 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 this treasure in. 
We take hope out to the world because the world doesn't understand. They don't understand who they are. And they will never learn who they are unless you step in and say, do you not know you're made in the image of God? Do you not know you're meant for eternity? Do you not know that you're meant to be unified by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life with every other Christian on the face of the planet for worship, for glory, for love? We are vessels of mission. You notice what Jesus says here? The first thing he says before he gives them the Spirit, he says, as the Father sent me to rescue you, so I send you, receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit sends. Read Acts, right? Read John. The Holy Spirit sends. The good news is not meant for you to huddle in and enjoy, but meant for you to spread far and spread wide. And the more in tune with the Spirit you are, the more blown to new places you'll be. Remember Jesus in John chapter 3 as he's talking to Nicodemus, that the people of the Spirit are the people of the wind. The wind blows wherever it wills. No one can say where it's going or where it came from. And you are that people, bound to the Spirit, blown by the Spirit, to see and engage in the mission that God has of rescuing the world and bringing it to the light of the truth. Next, a vessel of miracles. I so appreciated Jack's um, sermon last Sunday. Um, It it was great to to hear him talking about that. This, This idea that that God can do more than we assume. In fact, this passage here, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we are then. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. So when you think I don't have any more. You think I can't go any farther. You think this is all done. You think I have it all figured out and there's no answer. The God who is able to do more than you ask or could even imagine that God is able to work. Why? Because of the spirit that is alive and moving through you. Much of this is perspective. And the thing that I find so often with Christians is that we are closed off people We have everything in a neat little tied up box that we learned in Sunday school. We've brought it forward into today. And I think that's too bad. Because I think God has got something new tomorrow. He's got something new for this church. He's got something new for you. He's got something new for your family. And it is a great mystery. And the more that we live into that life of the Spirit the more that we live into that truth, the broader our eyes will be to the great mystery of God's hand at work in the world around us. We are vessels of hope. We are vessels of mission. We are vessels of miracles. Not by our own ability, not by our own capabilities, not by our own holiness, but by God's great power. It has nothing to do with you. Vessels don't do anything but carry, right? When you think to yourself, I can't do it, good. No one's asking you to do it. God is asking you to carry. Carry the gospel. You didn't write it. Carry the spirit. You didn't evoke it. Carry that mission, that hope, that love forward. What you have received freely. Freely give. 
You've been freely given mercy, haven't you? Can I get a witness? You've been freely given forgiveness, haven't you? You've been freely given the life of the Spirit, haven't you? You've been freely given the gospel. You've been freely given love. You've been freely given grace. You've been freely given all of these wonderful things. Freely give. And so what should this lead us all to? My last concluding thought. And actually, I'll just pull it all the way through. We have enemies. I get that, right? That's real. But we don't treat anyone like that because we know who they are. They might not know who they are, and that might hurt us greatly. But we know who they are, and we treat them like the most valuable thing on this planet because that is what God treats them like, isn't it? Isn't it? We are vessels of hope because the hope that God has poured into our hearts, the light that he has poured into us, he has given you freely as a a gift of grace, not of your own doing, and sent you into the world as a vessel of mission to bring that hope to those people, to awaken them to who they are so that they can join us. So they can experience the life of the Spirit. So they can experience the grace of God. So that God eventually receives more glory. Because ultimately what this all comes down to this. Our whole calling is to recognize who deserves worship. And to worship that God accordingly. That's your great task. To awaken people to the one true God. So that they might worship him in spirit and in truth. And the best way to do that is not to preach down to people, is not to hand books to people. And, and you, know, you know that's like near sacrilege in my life. Like that's, it is to be the most worshipful worshiper in the room. That you are the person whose mouth is full of blessing. You are the person whose mouth is full of encouragement. You are the person whose life is full of praise. You are the person who is constantly thanks, giving thanks to God and, and singing songs of hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart even in the darkest of times. You're the one who is telling the truth. You are the one who is open and willing to listen. You are the one who is concerned with the person who is everyone else is not concerned with. You are the person of grace. In a world, I mean this world, right? A world that lacks grace. Because you are the image bearer of God. And a vessel, if you're a believer here this morning, a vessel of the Holy Spirit. And so if you could hold fast to one verse, underline it and memorize it this week. Making this your prayer. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is a work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This morning, if you have not experienced the life of the Spirit, if you need to be baptized to receive that gift, if you, if you need prayer, um, if you need encouragement, our elders will be down front and we would love to meet with you and to walk with you because we are all in this together. Yes? Let's stand as we sing.